All right, Shabbat Shalom. All right, one more time. Come on, everybody. Shabbat Shalom. All right. Um, I hope you had a good Sabbath. Me and my wife did. We invited my, my uncle for his first Sabbath last night with my, his family. It was a blessing. Um, one of the things we read, he wanted to read, uh, he was wondering, uh, it was an apocryphal book, uh, Ecclesiasticus. And there was just like these two verses that we read, but I think it would bless y'all just uh, how real it is, how good it is. It says in Ecclesiasticus 2, 1, My son, if thou come to serve the Lord, prepare thy soul for temptation. Set thy heart aright and constantly endure, and make not haste in time of trouble. Cleave unto him and depart not away that thou mayest be increased at the last end. So that's something to ponder while we worship, is that when you come and serve him, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you know, you're going to be tempted throughout every day with something. And it's just wanting to choose him, worship him in that, in that moment, where you got to go to the bathroom, wash your face, and just say, like, man, God, I want to worship you at this moment because I'm, I'm tempted. Just ask for his presence to overwhelm you. And I, you know, he's just going to increase your strength. I know he does for me. Um, if y'all want to stand up, we're going to go ahead and pray. We're going to ask God to be here with us. If y'all want to join me, I'm going to lift my hands. Father, yeah, I thank you for each person that's here. I ask that you minister to each heart. Lord, and just let them know that you are there as long as they call upon your name. When they meet trials, temptations, or struggles with, with your commands or anything they go through in this life. I just ask that you would be there as you promised, Lord, and that they would call on your name. And at this moment, Lord, I pray that they would set their heart away from anything they've done. Lord, and just abide in your forgiveness and confess their sins within their mind to you, Lord. And just lift up a praise and worship. An honoring and glorifying of your name in this moment of worship. That they would give all their heart to you. Just lifting up a living sacrifice, a sweet aroma to you with their praise and worship. Thank you, Father. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, I pray. Amen.
Darkness tremble, Jesus, 
Say 
So now we're going to do the prayer with the hoopah. So typically we have the children come under and the men surround, but anybody is welcome under the hoopah if they need prayer. So we'll gather the men and the children. Anybody that needs prayer, come on. Father Elohim, we thank you for each person that's under this hoopah and outside of it. We ask you to bless them with your peace, your salvation. It's through Yeshua, the Messiah. I pray that each person would have a divine encounter with your presence that would transform them and how they approach others in love and to and you in love and they would daily be meditating on your word and on what you have said that they may come to know you more and more each and every day I pray for any anything that might be going wrong with anybody a sickness from either from principalities or just an, a normal sickness. We ask Yeshua's healing over that. We plead the blood of Yeshua over that. We just ask you to bless us, Lord, with prosperity in our soul, that we may be content in poverty and riches, whatever you give us, Lord. But be content and able to bless the poor and the widow. May we teach our children to do so. God, just I just ask for your presence just to be with each person today. For you to comfort them. I ask this in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Right, so I'm going to be going over the first five today, so hope everybody's week has been blessed. So this week, parashah is Chayi Sarah. It's, I hope I said that right. But it's the life of Sarah. So the Torah portion goes from Genesis 23 to 25. So in chapter 23, it goes straight into Sarah's life. 
her death, actually. So Sarah lived 127 years old and died in Karath Arab, Araba, and Abraham cried for her. And uh, we see Abraham searching for a piece of land. He found one. Uh, they were willing to give it to him for free, uh, which was Ephron and the sons of Heath were willing to give it to him for free. But he valued Sarah. He said, no, you know, I want to pay the full price for it. Um, so it was 400 pieces of silver. We jump to chapter 24. We see Abraham took his oldest servant and made him swear that he would not, that he would not find a Canaanite woman for his son, um, but he would find a woman of his close kin. So he had to go back to Abraham's land. <clears throat> so the servant takes the camels and prays to the Lord that his mission may be successful by having one of the women offer, uh, offer him water and he would ask for water, and then the woman would offer water for his camels. Uh, so as he, was, he, as he was praying that prayer, immediately, Rebecca, as he opened his eyes, Rebecca appeared. Uh, so we see the servant uh, praying, and God's answering his prayer. And it came to happen. Rebe uh, Rebecca gave him the water and also gave him his camels of water. I'm trying to get this all under five minutes, so I'm moving fast. <clears throat> so um, immediately after that, he gave her uh, gold rings on her on her uh, bracelets and her her ear, and he asked her if he could stay in his father's house. And then we see um, the servant blessing the Lord's name for this. Chapter twenty-five: Abraham had other children, but gave everything he had unto Isaac. Abraham lived to be 175, then Isaac and Ishmael buried him uh, with his wife, Sarah. So we see that unity still after he had died, even though he had more wives. He was buried with Sarah. The Brit, Brit Kadashah, or, let's see, sorry, the Haftarah, which is the prophet portion. David was old uh, and very cold. He was old and he was cold. He couldn't get warm. So we see, uh, this is 1 Kings chapter 1. We see the people try to find a young lady and try to comfort him. And this young, beautiful woman is named Abishag. Um, but he knew her not, and it obviously wasn't working. David was dying. So one of David's son, Ad Adonijah, sets himself to be king and sacrifice sheep, oxen, and fatted cattle to invite all of his brothers and invited all of his brothers and the royal officials of Judah, but he did not invite Nathan the prophet and Solomon or any of his men because he was trying to become king, and he knew that Solomon was the one that was supposed to be king. This was all happening while David was sick and cold. But Bathsheba, we see later in the chapter, this is chapter still one, um, Bathsheba and Nathan comfort the sick uh, king, so they comfort David. They confront David, not comfort. They, Bathsheba and Nathan confront the king. Um, and at the end of the day, David proclaims Solomon as king after him. Okay, so the Brit Kadashah is Matthew chapter 1. And we see Yeshua's descendants from Abraham to Israel and from Israel to the King David. King David all the way back to Joseph, Mary. Marrying Mary.
And then we also have 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 50 through 57. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the theme and the central message, I'm trying to gather this all up. Like I said, the parasha is Chai Sarah, the life of Sarah. So what I'm seeing is the, the women in these portions are important to the men. Um, if you go back and you read through every single one, it start the woman is involved. So <clears throat> Sarah was valuable to Abraham, so he insisted in paying for the grave, um, even though they offered it to him for free. Abraham saw the importance importance of not choosing a Canaanite woman, but a woman from his kin. So he knew that it was important that his son has the right woman, a woman of his kin not a woman of Canaan. So it was important to him. Rebecca, Rebecca comforted Isaac in the, in the morning uh, from his mother's death. So when, when Isaac was mourning, Rebecca comforted him. Um, so we see, we also see, you know, him mourning. We see Isaac mourning for his mother. Um, he loved her very much, but Rebecca comforted her. So we have these two important women in his life. <clears throat> helping. Um, also, when they wanted to comfort David, they tried to comfort with him with Abishag, the young, beautiful woman. Uh, the descendants, also the uh, descendants of Abraham, to King David, to Joseph, to the husband of Mary. So that's Matthew chapter 1. We see that genealogy it ends with Joseph, but it's Mary. He had to marry Mary to have, be considered the father of Yeshua. Um, and also, if we take it all the way back to the garden, we see Adam and Eve, and the Lord created them. The Lord created Eve as a helper for Adam. So that's the central message that I, I got from this Torah portion, is that the women in these, in these portions were very important. They played a part, and, and, and they're, a reason, they're a part of the reason why everything came to be um, through the Messiah. So that is my wrap-up for this week. Check. Shabbat shalom, everyone. It is absolutely an honor and a privilege to be here uh, this week. My name is Ephraim Judah, one of the pastors at HFF up in Norman. And uh, I just want to say it is an honor to be here in the presence of you guys here at the, at the Bema of Ed Harris, who is somebody I have a great deal of respect for. Um, and so just what a pleasure it is to be here and to have the opportunity to share with you guys. Thank you for sharing, uh, Brother Ed, with us. That are, He's up in uh, OKC teaching right now. And uh, so thank you very much for uh, sharing him with our community as well. Ed is somebody I respect greatly. In fact, he's somebody that I, even at certain times, certain messages that I've gone to give, I sometimes try to emulate Ed Harris for some of my messages. I'd be, it'd be pretty silly of me to try and come down here and emulate Ed because you guys got the real thing each and every week. So one of the things that I want to do is I, I have a message that I really wanted to share with you guys that I think would be very edifying to, um, to you guys, your body, and really to the whole movement, Messianic Hebrew Roots movement as a whole. Um, Matthew, if you want to quick, click over to that uh, new 
PowerPoint. There it is. All right, message that I have to share with you guys is this. This is a connection and a correlation that I have found that I believe is incredibly edifying to us, and it's something that we need to understand entirely, especially when it comes to our relationships. Relationships are a very important thing. All, almost the whole important thing that, that God wanted us to have is a relationship with him. That's the whole purpose for calling Abraham, to have a covenant with Abraham so that through him all the families of the earth will be blessed. And the establishment of a covenant is a true relationship between two entities. And obviously we are looking for the relationship between us and God, but at the same time we have in our homes, in our families, we have the relationship between a husband and a wife, the loving covenant relationship. A marriage covenant is almost the closest thing we have to understand what it is truly, what it truly means to be in covenant with God. So there's a parallel, there's a connection between those things. So one of the things that I want to talk about is I want to talk about relationships, and specifically marriage relationships, through the context of a study that has been done by, that is entitled The Five Love Languages. Raise your hand if you ever heard about The Five Love Languages. Quite a few of you, that's excellent. So what, this whole first part is going to be pretty much review for you guys when it comes to the love languages. And the love languages are done by a, a doctor by the name of Dr. Gary Chapman, who I believe has tapped into some ideas and concepts, truly what it means to communicate with one another, and some of the differences that it, there is that exist between us as individuals. Now, these love languages aren't specifically even just tied to husband and wife relationships. There's, there's uh, love languages that your children have love languages as well. The website up there, uh, fivelovelanguages.com, you can go there and you can take a test. And you can take a test and, and have it tell you based on a, couple of, on a whole series of questions that you are asked, and you'll determine what your love language is. Let me go here and let's uh, talk about these love languages. There's five different love languages, and you might know already what yours is, but they are as follows. Gift giving, physical touch, quality time, words of affirmation, and acts of service. These are all the different th love languages that might be associated with you as a person that will actually explain how sometimes people communicate with you. Husband, husbands and wives, very important for you to understand what your spouse's love language is. It will help you to communicate with them better. Now, if you go to the website, you take a test, you will get a result that will give you and tell you what your love language is. Dr. Gary Chapman in his book, describes that each of us have a primary love language and probably a secondary love language, and then the other three sometimes are, it's not that you have nothing to do with those, they just don't drive or motivate you when somebody speaks to you that way. So, here's, we went ahead and cracked the code, I got a screenshot of my, my results of my test up there, where my primary love language is quality time. And the one at the very bottom where I only scored a three, this is on a scale of one to 12, is receiving gifts. Now that doesn't mean at all that I don't like receiving gifts whatsoever. I love gifts just as much as the next person. But when it comes to truly if I feel loved because somebody gives me something doesn't mean that I'm gonna really truly feel loved. What I love is quality time. Quality time where it's just me and my wife or me and somebody else just, enjoy, just enjoying each other's company. That's one of the things that drives me. Now. Dr. Chapman, he says that we have these primary love languages, secondary love languages. The thing is, is if you take this test, there are times that you will actually score equal amounts in two different love languages. 
which I actually think you, you have to communicate to somebody equally in those two areas to speak to them. It actually tends to show more of the complexity of the nature of who we are sometimes. Now, one of the very fascinating things, I love sharing this, is that my wife actually scored three primary love languages. She scored an eight in three categories, which makes her extremely complex and makes my life a very interesting challenge. Because I could be showing her love in two amazing ways, and I'm still falling short in another area. So this test is very fascinating to see how complex we are as individuals from time to time. So I encourage you, take the test and learn who you are. And you can also do this for your children. You can take a test and you can answer questions about your children and learn what your children's love languages are it's because you might have young kids and sometimes they're not feeling love because their love language might be something different than what you're giving them. Sometimes their love language might be physical touch. They love hugs. They love cuddles. And if you're not giving that to them, then they're going to feel more unloved. And so I encourage everybody, check these things out. I think Dr. Chapman has tapped into a concept here that was very educational to us as individuals. Dr. Chapman is a Christian as well. And so I believe that there is, that it's not unbiblical in this kind of study. Now, let's review a little bit more of the details of all of these things a little bit more. And we're going to talk about different ways to communicate if you are speaking to somebody with a certain love language. So starting with gift giving here at the top. This is a chart. These are some notes. Again, this is still all on the topic of love languages where it gives you tips and tricks on how to communicate with somebody if their love language is gift giving. So the first thought, you need to be thoughtful in all of your things, and you need to make them a pri- make the person whose love language is gift-giving, make them a priority. That is how they will know they're feeling love. Actions to take, things that you can specifically do, is you can give thoughtful gifts and gestures. You can express gratitude when receiving gifts, because one of the other keys to all of these love languages is these are also ways in general that they show love as well as how they like to receive love. Sometimes you might know your love language because that's how you try to show love to somebody else. And so when it comes to gift giving as a love language, you have to not only give them gifts, but they will also, when they, if they give you something, something thoughtful, you have to be gracious in receiving it as well. Things to avoid, unenthusiastic gift receiving. If they pour their heart and they give you something, even if it's small, a small gesture, it's thoughtful on their part. If you're unenthusiastic about receiving it, that will, it's almost, it just feels like complete rejection to them if they have that love language. Also for getting special occasions. It's very important to somebody with a love language of gift giving. Physical touch. These are people that like physical contact when they receive and like to show love. Nonverbal use of body language and touch to show love. That's how you communicate with them. They love hugs, kisses, cuddling. Also, in general, you have to be present with them. You have to be in their immediate area for them to feel like they're feeling loved. Physical neglect and abuse is the absolute worst thing that could be given to somebody who has a love language of physical touch. Quality time. This was mine. Uninterrupted and focused conversations is how you want to communicate to somebody who has a love language of quality time. One-on-one time is very important to them. What you want to do is create special moments, take walks, do small things with your partner or your loved one, and that is how they're going to feel loved, having quality time set apart just for them. 
Distractions while spending time together is something that is very bad. One of the things that's a little trick that's not quality time is when you're sitting together and you're watching a TV show. Because what you're doing is you're both distracted by something and not truly enjoying each other's time and company. And so distractions are very bad to those that like quality time. Long time without one-on-one contact is also very devastating to those. Words of affirmation. These are people that like to hear encouragement, spoken encouragement to them. You want to encourage them, affirm the things that they do, appreciate, and also listen actively because they also, again, share love with words, so you have to be listening to them attentively. Send an unexpected note, a text, or a card. Those are things that just light their day up if they just receive a text right out of the blue if their love language is words of affirmation. And then not recognizing or appreciating effort. If you're not giving them an attaboy when they're doing something good, then they are going to, they'll come back and they'll say, I just feel like you don't love me anymore. And it's like, what are you talking about? I love you all the time. And it's not just saying I love you once a day. It's really the ongoing communication of words is really what they love to hear. And acts of service. Let them know that you are wanting to help and lighten their load. There are some times that you feel, if you feel loved because somebody's doing something for you. Guys, gentlemen, this is the big thing why they have just, they, the, your wives go absolutely nuts when you don't take out the trash. It's as simple as that, that you're lightening the load and you're doing something for them. And it's like, if you don't take out the trash, she's going to come back and say, I don't feel loved. And it's like, it's just the trash. No, if her love language is acts of service, that action, that gesture, you go and make dinner some night, you wake up and you make breakfast for them, you will change your day, you will change your week, and you will have a brand new spouse if you do that for them some days. And probably because their love language is acts of service. So actions you can do, make them a meal, make them breakfast, make them dinner, and help out with the chores. And then lacking follow-through are things that you want to avoid on small tasks and large tasks. Now, this next little thing right here, this is something that I came up with, and this is where I was really looking at the Lord, at what he has done for us, and looking at patterns of five in the rest of creation. Because I think the pattern of five not only has to do with the grace that God has given to us, but it has to do with how we experience the world, how we experience one another. We have five fingers on every single hand. I'm going to talk about that even more as well, that this is how we experience the world. And so how do we really sense the world around us with our five senses? There's a parallel to each and every one of these love languages to our five senses as well. The first one is gift giving is tied to the sense of sight. This is why you wrap gifts. You cover them up because you want to see what the look on their face is when they unwrap it and see it. It's the same reason why when you bring flowers to your spouse, you have them behind your back first, and you want to see their eyes light up when you go to give it to them. So the sense of sight is connected with gift giving. Physical touch, very simple. Your sense of touch, physical touch. The two are intimately tied together. Quality time is an interesting one. This is one you might not think is connected, but go with me on this. The sense of smell. Whenever you finally have a moment of peace to yourself, What's the first thing you do? You breathe a big breath through the nose when you have some time to yourself. And here's the other thing too. Your sense of smell is the most tied to your memory. 
You can smell a smell that you haven't smelled in a long time, and you're instantly transported to another place and another time. Something that is something tied to your, me- tied to your memory. So sense of smell, quality time. Words of affirmation, this one is also simple. Hearing. You want to hear the words that are spoken. That your sense of hearing is tied to the words of affirmation. Now, i only got one sense left. Sense of taste. So let's see if we can make this work with acts of service. What is the most common thing in the entire world that is ever served? Food. That's why right there when it says actions to take, if your love language is acts of service, make them a meal. And your sense of taste is directly tied to acts of service. All right, we're going to tie all this together a little bit later. This is the section about, this is, gets your review for love languages. Now, let's talk about another pattern of five that we have. We have the five-fold ministry. This is what God has described and taught through the inspiration here to, um, to Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. And we get this all from Ephesians chapter 4. Starting at verse 7, then skipping to verse 11. says this, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in the things, in, in all things, into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body and the edifying of itself in love. This is what many have called and described the five-fold ministry. These five offices of ministry that are described here, and they are as follows, teacher, pastor, evangelist, prophet, and apostle. There's many teachings that have been done on these particular offices of ministry, what their job is, how do they work together, how do they minister effectively to the body of Messiah. Now, one of the things that's very interesting, if you have done any of these studies, I think one thing is this. These offices are sometimes misunderstood, what they're supposed to do, how they minister to us. And so we have to get a better understanding, that's one of the goals of this message, is to have a better understanding of what each of these offices of ministry do. Now, if you go and if you've picked up a book or something on the fivefold ministry, there's a pattern that I've seen in multiple times. And that is a pattern that connects the fingers on the hand to the offices of ministry. Many people say the apostle is the thumb. The apostle will go into a little bit more detail, but the apostle is the leader. It's the one that interacts with all of the other offices of ministry. That's why the thumb can easily touch and make contact with every single one of the other fingers. The prophet is the index finger, the one that leads, the one that points the way. Where does God saying to one person or the other? And they point the way. The evangelist is the longest finger on the hand because it reaches out the farthest when you're reaching for something. When the evangelist goes and it goes and tries to grasp and try to introduce somebody into the faith and go to find somebody new. Sometimes they're a long distance away. 
The pastor and the teacher, they work very close in hand with one another. Just like your ring finger, the covenant finger, and your pinky finger work together constantly. And that down in the bottom of your hand, even though you call those your weakest fingers, there is actually very little strength if you don't use your pinky and your ring finger to grip something if you lack strength in your hand. And if you use just your pinky and your ring finger and don't use your index and your middle, that also lacks strength when you're grabbing something. All of these things have to work closely together. It's just like in the verse where it says, all the parts of the body have to work jointly together, equally doing their share to minister to the brethren. So there's an interesting connection here to the hand. Now, let's go down a chart and let's look at some of these things. Let's detail out some of these offices of ministry and what do they do for us. The teacher. The job of the teacher is to share knowledge to make successful believers. They gather up all this knowledge and they study and then they have to figure out how to wrap it up and deliver it to someone so that they also can receive that knowledge. Now, how do they do that? They have to break it down. Break it down, so that knowledge, so it can be received. Now, things to avoid. If you are a teacher who is serving, you have to avoid to stop learning and stop sharing the gift of knowledge. Anytime that you stop learning new things, you suddenly become stagnant as a teacher and you no longer can continue that work of sharing the knowledge that you've received. And what people sometimes accuse teachers of is that they don't have a pastor's heart. Somebody stands up and then they go and they teach a message and they share some, uh, some elaborate Bible study, but then they don't seem to ever make the connection with people one-on-one, -on -one, so they get this accusation of not having a pastor's heart. Well, that's because the kind of ministry they're looking for is the work of a pastor. A pastor is to counsel, disciple, and shepherd the brethren. They share love. They, they, they show love, compassion, and are one-on-one. -on -one. They make contact with you one-on-one. -on -one. I know speaking to this congregation, Ed Harris is a pastor to a T. That guy is a big-time pastor. I also think he's a great teacher too, but he's a pastor first and foremost. There's been times that I wish we could invite Ed to come and speak and be a guest speaker at a bunch of other events and things, but to pry him away from his fellowship and his congregation here, his flock each and every week, that's where his love is, that's where his heart is. So Ed Harris is a pastor to a T, and he's good at showing love, big time, making one-on-one -on -one personal contact. I'm preaching to the choir in this group right here. Things to avoid. Getting too close or attached to a situation is a downfall of a pastor. They get too overwhelmed. They get too involved, too close to certain situations. But sometimes other people, the accusations toward a pastor would be that they might not have enough substance to their message. That's because they're usually looking for a teacher. They want a Bible study. They want some deeper, in-depth study of deep into the gematria or the Hebrew of something right there. pastor's not going to give that to you. A pastor is going to share something in love. He's going to be encouraging, and he's going to like. He's going to let you have. He's going to tell you what you need to do, and he's going to show a lot of love and compassion. And so, some people might accuse them of not having a whole lot of substance to their messages. This is why teachers and pastors have to work so closely together, is because they kind of have what the other one needs sometimes when it comes to effectively ministering to the brethren. The evangelist, their job is to hunt and reach out for lost and hurting souls. They're reaching out and they're looking for a soul to heal, to save. They're looking for winning souls over for the Lord, those that are in need. And that's what an evangelist will do. And they share that gospel to make new believers. And that's the work of an evangelist. 
Now, one of the things that they need to avoid is to stop fishing and stop giving of your time. They got to always be looking, always working, always ready to cast out another net to go and find somebody. And it takes a lot of time and effort on the part of an evangelist to reach those people. When it comes to those that do long-term mission trips and travel a long distance to get to where they need to go to find those that are in need, they're giving a lot of their time and effort to make sure that job happens. Now, what they're accused of is not staying home with those that they have saved. They get accused of that. It's like they keep running off to another mission trip instead of staying home where you think you might need them. However, if that's their job, if that's their ministry, that's their heart to go out and they're, they're on the hunt for another soul to save. And that's what their job is and that's what they do. One of the good jobs of an evangelist is to put people that they have reached in touch with pastors and teachers. Put them in touch with those so that they are ministered to on a regular basis by those offices of ministry so an evangelist can go out and do some more work of saving. The prophet is one of the most misunderstood, also the most hated office of ministry. Prophet is a very big misunderstanding. Prophet doesn't tell the future. They don't predict what happens in the future. No, a prophet listens and delivers the word of the Lord. They speak the word of the Lord. They hear from the Lord and they say, I, if ever, you ever hear somebody say, man, I got a word from the Lord to share with you. That's, they're kind of doing the work in the office of a prophet when they're hearing that word and they're going to then go and share with somebody. And you know what? Sometimes what they have to say is not always something you like to hear. But what they're doing is they're speaking truth. They're direct and they're bold in everything that they do. Well, I heard a great little nugget here. A prophet is not supposed to represent the church or congregation. Even if they're in leadership as a prophet, they're not supposed to represent the church. What they represent is God to their church. They give the word of the Lord, they hear it from God, and then they share it and they deliver what that word is. What they run into trouble with is if they ever speak more or less than the word of God. If they hear from the word of the Lord and they only give part of the message, oops, that's a mistake. Because they are not getting all, whoever they're ministering to is not getting the fullness of what God wanted to speak to them. And if they speak more than what the word of God is, they add their opinion on top of it. If they add a little extra emotion into the process of it, that is not what the Lord is wanting them to say. They got to say it to whoever they're needing to say it and not any, add anything to it, not to take away, just like the, the warning in the commandment or in the scripture, to not to add to or take away from the word of the Lord. And the prophet kind of is like, they're, they got a phone, they got an a instant call Write to God when God sometimes lays, somebody on, lays it on somebody's heart and says, I need you to go say this to somebody. And then they're like, okay, Lord. And they hear it, sometimes not audibly, but when you actually talk to somebody who's done this sort of work before in the ministry, it's fascinating the way the Lord lays it on their heart. Now, they will be accused of talking down from their high horse. They're up on their soapbox and they're saying, it's like, don't tell me what to do. Who, who, who do you have any right to say what you're saying to me? It's like, well, look, I'm just, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just sharing what the Lord laid on my heart. And so when a prophet is the most hated of all of the offices of ministry. And so, it's, and so to, when you are, if you ever find out if you kind of have that ministry, you got to be prepared to have a thick skin. And you got to be ready to do that job each and every time that you need to do it. And the prophets throughout all of Israel most definitely were hated and killed 
for the things that they had to say. Look, don't shoot the messenger. They represent God and what he, his opinion on the matter is. Now the apostle, also very misunderstood that the apostle is the leader. They lead and they establish and they build and they birth new facets of the kingdom. They establish other people, other offices of ministry. They encourage other people to do the work of ministry. That's what they do. They establish, they empower, and they nourish others in ministry. The things that they absolutely cannot do, they can't stop serving. They have to keep serving and keep serving and keep working and serving the kingdom and doing that work. But they also could get burned out. So you got to make sure that's something that they got to avoid. And what they're always accused of is being arrogant and controlling. Because, they're, hey, look, they're laying, the Lord has laid on their heart to build and establish these things. So you think their hand is in every cookie jar, and you're like, you just want to be involved in everything. It's like, no, look, this is what the Lord laid on my heart. This is the job that he's laid on me, to be an apostle, to build and establish something. Always. The, what you're always looking for is the fruit that is produced from each and every one of these offices of ministry. Evangelists are always winning souls over for the Lord. Pastors, they're always shepherding, always counseling. Prophets are speaking constantly the word of God. The apostle, always building something, always establishing something. Something is always being birthed. People are being equipped and empowered by the apostle. That is the fruit of each and every one of these things. And teachers, you know the fruit when a teacher is sharing something new, some new piece of knowledge that is encouraging, it's uplifting, and you then it makes somebody better in their life and their function because of that knowledge that was shared. Now let me break this down a little bit. Over here on the right side of the screen, we got a little chart here. The practical spiritual matrix between all of these offices of ministry. The apostle as the leader has to be both practical and spiritual equally. But when you line up the other four, there is a matrix of when the teacher is the most practical and the least spiritual of every office of ministry. That's why a teacher isn't going to be the one that's going to be really praying for you or going to have really fervent prayers because they're all about teaching knowledge. And sometimes teachers will come, they'll deliver their message, they'll walk up, they'll leave, and they'll go. Pastor still has to be very practical. Sometimes they're given just straight-up counsel to people. But at the same time, pastor can pray with you as well. The evangelist, they're listening to what the Lord has to share, and they're finding souls to save and win over for the Lord. But they also have to be practical enough to know how to hop on a flight, stay safe, whether they're going to a certain area of where evangelism is needed. And the prophet is the most spiritual and the least practical because the prophet sometimes will share a word from the Lord and it don't make no sense whatsoever. But it's what the Lord is asking them to share. So here's this matrix of, of all of these offices of ministry being the teacher being more, the most practical, the prophet being the most spiritual, the apostle has to be able to make contact with every single one of them and be able to, to flip between being spiritual and practical when it comes to communication. Now, let's go here. Let's go back to this passage here. Let's draw a few more things out. The passage from Ephesians, where it says that he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers... For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Are we there yet? Are we all in unity? Okay, so that means we still need all of these offices of ministry. We still need each of these people doing these things to minister and serve the brethren. And there at the end of the passage, this very curious phrase, if you didn't catch it the first time, this causes growth in the body for the edifying of itself 
in love. That means that the people who do the work of ministry, if they're doing it correctly, they do so in a way that encourages you to be able to grow on your own successfully, to minister to you so that then you're okay after they have now ministered because they have other people to serve. This is the mistake that a lot of people make. We keep going back to each officer of ministry and keep needing something more from them. When it comes to the teacher, don't keep going back to them. They teach you how to learn. Don't get wrapped up in the knowledge that they have to share. They will sometimes give you their resources and they'll kind of encourage you and, and, and make you think something is really interesting. Then you go and seek it for yourself. The best teachers tell you, don't listen to what I have to say. Go seek it out for yourself. And that's what a teacher, and that's how you should respond when somebody is speaking as a teacher. As a pastor, they counsel you to change so as to not need any more counsel. If you keep coming back all the time and you continue to repeat and recycle all the same problems, needing counseling all the time. Now, there are some secular counselors and therapists who would like to have a lifelong patient. And they're going to never give you enough to where you can heal yourself and you're going to keep coming back and coming back and they're in it to make the money. But if somebody truly has a heart to counsel and minister to you, it's your responsibility to change and act and react to that counsel as to not need it again. The evangelist, they've led you to salvation. You don't always need to keep being saved again. They've led you to the Lord. They put you in touch with pastors and teachers. You don't have to keep going back to the evangelist who led you to the Lord. In fact, for most of us, you can think of who led you to the Lord, and actually they're usually not a, lot, not a part of your life anymore. That's because they did their job. Job well done, and you can look back and know. It's like, man, the Lord really used that person in my life. That's because they were the, playing the role of the evangelist at that time. The prophet, they hook up your phone to God. You don't always have to use their phone. They will show you and sometimes will encourage you to have your own relationship and ways to hear from the Lord. You don't keep going back to them and say, hey, what's the Lord think about this? That's not how a prophet is supposed to work. And the apostle, they establish and equip you to do the job. It's not their job to do it for you all the time. So then that's why they're building something. They're establishing something. Sometimes they don't stick around all the time. They travel. They set up a church. They establish people. And then they don't show up again because they built it to establish you to do the job and do the work. And they don't keep coming back doing the same job all the time. Now, one of the things also that's interesting about all of these offices of ministry is I don't believe whenever somebody has stood up and said that somebody is a five-fold minister, as in they do all of the jobs. Now, I believe that sometimes people have to do and play the role of every job from time to time, but that's truly not what their heart for ministry is. There is sometimes a pastor who leads a congregation. He had to build the congregation like an apostle. He's the one guy there who's hearing from the word of the Lord. He also is leading somebody to the Lord if they walk in the door and they're not saved. And he's teaching and he's counseling all at the same time. So sometimes you get stuck in that role. But that's not necessarily the best thing. You get burned out real fast if one person is doing all of those jobs. You've got to find people that are working together. Now, let's talk about what the kind of people, what kind of ministry do you need? Because one of the things that I'm tying all this together with and that I believe is, is there is what's called a ministry language that is the kind of minister that you will gravitate toward 
Because you need that type of ministry. Now, here's a real basic layout of who needs these different officers of ministry. Teachers and pastors, they minister to all believers. All believers need to have encouragement and be strengthened by teachers and pastors. Every believer should be going to congregation and receiving words from pastors and teachers on a regular basis. It's for all believers. The obvious one, evangelists minister to unbelievers. They reach out to those who are not safe, who are not believing. This is the general thing that the evangelists do. Prophets minister to all of the other offices of ministry, teachers, pastors, evangelists, apostles. Because prophets, they have the word from the Lord, and then they go and share with other ministers and say, hey, the Lord's leading. I think we need to do this. We, the, the Lord's telling me that we need to establish a church here. The people over here need saving. This is what needs to be taught. Then it's the job of the teacher to hear those words from the prophet and establish a new teaching. If it's right, if it's sound, if it's appropriate, praying to the Lord and seeing, looking for confirming witnesses at times. But that's who prophets minister. And the apostles minister to all the other offices as well, including prophets, because they're building up, establishing, and empowering all the other offices of ministry. So as to, to recap here, prophets and apostles... They have to work very closely together. In fact, if you go back a couple of chapters in Ephesians to Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 19, it says this, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Yeshua Messiah himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple to the Lord, and in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So the apostles and the prophets, they work very closely together to build and establish things. The apostle has to hear from the prophet to be encouraged on what to build next, who to empower next. And as I said already before, teachers and pastors very closely work together. Again, they all come together to form strength in the body. So if you hadn't figured, so where do you serve? Another cool thing, I told you fivelovelanguages.com. There's a website called fivefoldministry.com that I happen to find. It's got a nice little test for you to do that's very similar. Where if you have a heart to serve in a certain area of ministry, you can do a test. You can punch in, you can ask all these questions, answer these questions, and it'll give you percentages at the bottom to tell you what area of ministry you should serve. There's a screenshot of my uh, passage or my uh, test results right there. I scored number one as a pastor. Then next as an evangelist, a teacher, apostle, and then a prophet on the least. So I don't know exactly what that means, but sometimes I get the heart that I feel, and the percentages are actually kind of close together. You can take the test a couple of times, and you might get a couple of different results, but it'll give you a really interesting look as to what area of ministry you might want to serve in. What's very cool about this, as far as the, all the pastors at HFF up in Oklahoma City, all three of us took the test, and at least in the top two percentage of each of, a, of us combined, there was all five represented, at least in the top two. So then that for us, that gave us encouragement that, hey, maybe we're doing something good here, hopefully, because all of us, all kind of the, the three of us, Daniel Musson, Chris Frankie, myself, all kind of come together and we're kind of doing the work of the Lord if we're all kind of using the gifts that we've been given to us. Again, this is an online test. Don't trust everything you see on the internet. But it's very interesting, fascinating for you to find this sort of information out if you have a heart to serve in ministry. 
So if you hadn't figured this out yet, I am tying all of these two things together. These offices of ministry, the five-fold ministry, and the love languages all together. It's all a pattern of five here. And so we're connecting them now together. If you didn't pick up on it already, the teacher is tied with gift giving. They give the gift of knowledge. That's what they share all the time. Pastor, physical touch. They are the shepherd that are amongst the flock, amongst the sheep, making physical contact with them. Sometimes so much so they leave the flock to go find the one that's lost, and they got to pick them up, throw them over their shoulders, and they got to come and bring them back to the flock. The evangelist, quality time. They have to give of their time to do that job. They also teach people how to have quality time with God. For the very first time, when they are introduced to the Lord, they learn how to have quality time with Him. The prophet, very clear, words of affirmation. They hear the word from the Lord, and they share it, and they give it. And the apostle, acts of service. We have an entire book of the Bible called Acts of the Apostles. That's what they do. They go and they serve, and we have all the stories of them going and establishing and building churches in the first century. So all of these things are tied together. Now, now do I believe that they are intimately tied together that your ministry language is the same as your love language? I don't think so. Because I think they're two different types of, of aspects of your personality and who you are. So my ministry language of what I like to do for people who might be pastor, but my love language is not physical touch. So I don't believe that they are mutually exclusively tied together that, they, that once you know what your love language is, you know what ministry language that you need. No. You need to kind of learn both of them. You need to learn how you receive love and communicate that to your friends, to your loved ones, so that you establish the relationship that you have with them. And then ministry-wise, you need to know what kind of ministry you're looking for, what kind of ministry you're needing. Are you needing in-depth counseling? Are you needing to be filled up in with knowledge? Are you lost and broken and you just got to be completely recharged and reset your life and be saved again by, by an evangelist coming in and says, you've got to get your relationship just start over with you and the Lord. You need to figure out what kind of ministry you need to receive. Now, let me break all of these things down. I'm going to connect all these things together. This is a bunch of information that's going to get dropped in on the screen here very quickly. And, but it's all information I've already given to you. But I want to bring out some of the highlights of how they're kind of all connected together. So back to the love language of gift giving. Thoughtfulness is what is super important in all of the things that you do when you're giving them a gift. In the same way that the office of ministry, the knowledge that you have to share has to be thoughtful, thought out, so it can be gift-wrapped and delivered to the people who need to hear the message that you are going to share. Now, phys physical touch. You have to show love and you got to be present, just like every pastor has to know how to show love, show compassion to his flock and to the people that he ministers to. And they have to be connected very close together when you're tying the, all of these things together. The quality time, one of the things that's important about how to communicate and actions to take, you got to create special moments and you have to be focused. So then the ministry of evangelism, you got to be very focused on what you're doing. And you got to be making sure you're creating that time, creating that moment that you're sitting down and you're speaking to the person who needs to be saved and you're telling them what they need to hear. In the love language of words of affirmation, you have to listen actively to them. And sometimes you send an unexpected note, and that's really encouraging to them. Well, you know what? The word that comes from the Lord, first of all, that 
uh, prophet needs to be listening actively to what the Lord has to say. And when they go to deliver it to you, it's going to be very unexpected. Prophet's going to pull you aside and say, I got a letter, for, I got a word from the Lord. And it's just like receiving a text right out of the blue to your phone. And so you don't know what it's going to say. But sometimes it's encouraging. Sometimes it's, uh, you need to come home right now. Kids are in trouble. I'm about to, I'm ready to spank their butts. You need to come and intervene now. Something like that. Sometimes it's a little out of the blue. And that's why those things are tied together. Now, acts of service, what you're always doing is you're trying to lighten the load of people and you're, you make something. You make breakfast, you make dinner, just like the apostle. It's always building something, making something. Now let's tie those ministries back to the five senses again. Like I said, the uh, teacher has to be seeking knowledge and then share, and so their eyes have to sometimes be in the book, reading constantly to receive that knowledge. And the pastor... Physical touch. They got to be making. They got to be making that physical contact with those that are in need, and the evangelists. They're on the hunt all the time, always looking, smelling, trying, sniffing for a soul to save. And then the words. They, they got to listen. The prophet has to listen to what the Lord has to say. And then the apostle is always nourishing the brethren, nourishing and feeding them what they need. And so that's why you tie that sense of taste back into it. Now. This was all the positive things. Let's take a look at the cross-reference of the negative things. So in the love languages, the things to avoid for the gift-giving love language, being unenthusiastic in the giving. So the things to avoid when you're a teacher is to, if you're going to go and share some knowledge and you're unenthusiastic as you're giving it, that's terrible. That's not what you, what you need at all. So you have to have the same enthusiasm that you do when you're giving a gift to somebody as you do when you're sharing that gift as a teacher. Physical neglect and abuse is the absolute worst thing that you could do for somebody who has a love language of physical touch. And the things to avoid, getting, again, too close to a situation is what a pastor and a, the pitfall that they can fall into. For the love language of quality time, distractions. Going a long time without one-on-one. -on -one. If you're distracted while you're trying to share the gospel with somebody to get them saved, evangelist isn't going to do a very good job. The prophet, not recognizing or appreciating effort is something to be cautious if you have the words of affirmation love language. And so not recognizing when the Lord is speaking to you or recognizing somebody who needs to hear the word of the Lord, that's a mistake that you can make as a prophet. And then the um, acts of service love language, things to avoid, lacking follow-through, that is absolutely the worst thing an apostle can do is go through, go to build a church and not follow through and it's not ready to run yet. And it's not ready to go. And it will, and that is cautions for those that are in ministry. Now, scary a little bit, now we're going to talk about things that can completely destroy a ministry completely destroy a minister who's supposed to be working in an office of ministry. And you know what? Guess what? It ties back to the five senses. Complete destruction for a teacher is lusting after more knowledge with no wisdom to share it. Your eyes get so big, wanting to seek oh, so much knowledge, yet you have no means to gift wrap it, break it down, and deliver it to the people. And you just get consumed with knowledge, just the same way that eyes can lust after something. For a pastor, we have sexual sin and infidelity. 
Happens all the time to pastors. You hear about in the news. Completely derails a pastor's ministry because they got too close to a situation and the sense of touch consumed them. That is the complete and total destruction of a pastor's ministry. For an evangelist, if you're driven away by the stench of an area in need, if there's somebody who works the office of, as an evangelist, and then they hear, it's all like, man, the people need to be saved over in this country. And then you're like, I don't want to go to that country. It's gross over there. Smells bad. People smell bad. If you have a problem going to somebody who's homeless and ministering to them, and if you're driven away by the smell, then you're completely destroying what the Lord is needing you to do at that time in the office of evangelist. Somebody finds out, oh, man, they didn't want to go there because they didn't like the country they were being sent to. Wow, what an evangelist they are. You're never calling them again to, be, to work that role in ministry. Complete destruction of evangelism. For the prophet, to stop listening to the word of God. They don't hear it anymore. Then whatever comes out of their mouth is not the word of the Lord. And so if they work in the office of, as a prophet, if they're recognized as a prophet, if they once did the work of the prophet, but they stop listening to the Lord, then whatever they have to say ain't the work of the prophet. It's not the word of the Lord at that point. That's opinion, it's emotion, or it's something else that is not up from God. And for the apostle, becoming a glutton for power and control. Just like taste, the sense of taste, can consume you and make you cause you to eat way too much than you're ever supposed to. person who works the role of the apostle, man, all this power control that they have, the things they get to lead and build and establish, if they get consumed by that, absolute total destruction of the ministry of apostle. Now, but to each one of us, going back again to this passage, looking again at it, back to verse 7, where it says, according to the measure of Christ's gift, each and every one of these roles and offices of ministry that the Lord lays on your heart to do, they are a gift from the Lord. That he gives freely to somebody to do that work. And he gives them to him. Now, just like any other gift that's given to somebody, I got something that happens in my household. My son loves swords. Swords and shields, big foam swords. He wants to sword fight all the time. If we give him a brand new foam sword from the store, and he's like, sword fight! And he gets the sword and starts swinging it. If he swings it too far, too hard, if he goes and whaps one of his sisters upside the head, then what are mommy and daddy going to do? We're going to take it away from them. In the same way that if you take these gifts and you do something you're not supposed to do with them, the Lord will take it away from you. He will take it from you. He'll find somebody else to do that work and you ain't doing it anymore. These works and the roles and the offices of ministry, you have to pour out from your heart, your soul to do this job, to do it. And it's a gift from the Lord. And if you misuse it, the Lord will take it away. Now, Let's go back to this hands, hand scenario here. Going back to all of these things, teachers, pastors, evangelists, prophets, apostles, we're trying to understand how these guys all work together. How many of these guys do we need working together, doing the role? Well, I think there is a pattern in the shape of our hand that represents how many each of these guys we need in the ministry, doing the work. So I'm going to turn that hand and we make a little bar graph here. We need that many teachers, that many pastors, that many evangelists. We need the most evangelists than anything else because there are a lot of unsaved people out there that need to hear the gospel. 
We need a bunch of them all over the place. And we need a lot of prophets hearing from the word, the, the, the index finger, how many of those? We need a few more prophets than we, or a few more pastors than we need prophets. And we need a lot of teachers working with those prophets as well. Apostles, as the leadership of apostles, you need less of those, but you, you still need some. So there, there's your bar graph for how many we need in the ministry. And this is how many we need in the Hebrew Roots Movement where we find ourselves here in this congregation and with HFF. Unfortunately, this is not what we have in the Hebrew Roots Movement. What we instead have is a bar graph that looks a little bit more like this with a big, long list of teachers, tons of teachers with knowledge to share, a few pastors that work and lead and shepherd some of these congregations, evangelists, I don't know a whole lot of Hebrew roots, Messianic evangelists, unfortunately. I've been in this movement my entire life, and I just haven't seen a lot of them. Really don't. Prophets, here's the thing about prophets. I think there's more of them among us, but they simply don't know that that's the role and the job that they do. Or they're very timid in doing that job, and they don't know. I mean, they get this word from the Lord, and they don't know who to share it to, and who to talk to, and who to tell it to, and they're too afraid to say it. And I think there's more among us but we certainly don't recognize it or understand it. And again, this is that role that's much hated among you. If you know there's, if somebody is the role of prophet, you don't really do a lot of good when you walk in somewhere and say, it's all like, hey, I am a prophet to the messianic movement. God has called me to be a prophet. Do that, does that person get listened to a lot? No, that person's crazy. At least that's what they were called initially. It's like, it's not a role that you raise your hand and are excited to, to say that that's who you are. And if somebody walked in and says, I am a, an apostle to the Hebrew Roots movement, because there's a lot of people in this world that have no idea what that means. They're going to make a weird face. They don't know what that, it's like, okay, so are we all, this some sort of first century thing? You equating yourself to Paul? No. If you understand the role and if they have been, if, if that's what the Lord has led on their heart to be, then they're building and they're establishing things. And I don't know really if you even recognize or anybody understands if there's any apostles in this Hebrew Roots movement. And unfortunately, this is what we have. What we need to do is we need to have a better understanding of what these jobs and these offices do so that we recognize among the congregation who does these roles. So if this is what we have, then if your hand looks like that, you're not getting a whole lot of work done. You can't grip a hammer very well. You can't build anything. And you don't really want to high-five somebody with a hand that kind of looks like that. It's kind of, kind of strange. No, what we need is we need our hand to be like it was designed to be, like that one. Because that's a hand that God created that does work, that creates things, that builds things, that builds people up, that builds up his ministry and his kingdom, and they work together in strength. And that's what the five-fold ministry has to do. We have to figure out how, we have to identify the people in our congregations, in our fellowships, in our families that do those roles that the Lord has laid on their heart to do. And if they work together, if they understand their role and we have a better understanding of what the five-fold ministry does, then we can communicate with one another and we can work in love to edify the body, to build it up as it was originally intended to be and as Ephesians describes in the same way that understanding the love languages inside your marriage will restore your relationship on how to communicate with one another. If we, as the, a part of a five-fold ministry, can figure out how to work with one another, we can do incredible things for the kingdom, to edify the body of Messiah that he created, that he is the head and the established, and all the parts of the body 
of the body of Christ are all doing the job they're supposed to do. And if we're all doing the job correctly, there's sometimes it's all working together as one. Other times, the left hand doesn't have to worry about what the right hand is doing. If you know, if they know what their job is, and they're going in. And so we sit there and we might scoff at one another or at, at some other person who does a certain role of ministry. And it's all like, man, that person, that evangelist, they're always leaving. They're never around. They're never home. And they're in, in some godforsaken place. Why are you putting down the person that has a role and has a heart to go to that place and do that work? Just because you don't speak that ministry language or that's not your heart to do. And so when we go back and we talk and, we, and if we see a teacher and we, we question whether a teacher has a pastor's heart, and they, they, it's like that's not their job. And then a pastor, if he's doing that role, we sit there and we question what they do instead of understanding the role and the office of ministry that they fulfill. If we all can work together and do these things, until the unity of all the bodies come together, until we all come together with the knowledge of the body of Christ in unity, in the fullness of the Messiah, until we get there, we're going to need all five working together. In the same way that you really want to hope that every single finger on your hand stays right where it is so you can keep doing everything that you do in your life. That's what the Messiah is wanting us to do, and that's what I hope that we can learn and understand in this movement, in our fellowships, in our homes, in our families, on what each job is, who has that job, and to work together cooperatively in unity. And it's all done in love. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We thank you for your teaching, your instruction, Lord. And we thank you for the pattern of five here that you have created. In the five senses of how we experience this world. In the five fingers that we have on each hand and everything that we do. And how you have established five offices of ministry for us to work and serve, Lord, and even the revelation, Lord, of five different ways that we communicate and share love with one another. Lord, I pray that they all come together as one for us to better understand relationships, our relationship with you, our relationship with one another, and that we might establish good, strong, healthy covenants and relationships with one another. Because, Lord, when we get to the kingdom, that is what we will have with you. We will have an established covenant with you. Father, may we prepare for that day. Prepare for the kingdom that is to come by knowing and understanding what it is like to be one with another. In the same way that you are calling us to be one and whole within ourselves, you're calling us to all come together one day as the bride of Messiah. Many people coming together as one who will then be your bride, Lord, and we will be one in the kingdom. May we learn and may we establish all of these things in our congregations, in our homes, in our families, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would reveal to us what is needed in the ministry. You would reveal to us what it is the job that you would have us to do in the service of your name, your kingdom, and the brethren. Reveal it to us, Lord. Cause us to not be afraid, Lord, of what that job is, that we might do it in love and that we might do it to establish your kingdom here on earth. So we love you, we bless you, and thank you on this Sabbath day for this time and this opportunity. All the blessings of this fellowship, this congregation, this community, and in all things, we love you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thank you very much.
as we bring our Shabbat service to a close. To our new friends, visitors, we appreciate your coming and worshiping with us. Our prayer here at HFFDFW is that something was said that edified, enlightened, encouraged, and build you up, and hopefully you will come again and worship with us. We have uh, bread and juice in the foyer for your enjoyment and hope that you will participate with us. To Ephraim, you, my uh, email address is willygillisone at yahoo.com. You need to send me that. <laughs> that is a very good message, sir. We don't practice or look at numerology as that, but when you try to look at the numbers and apply it to a biblical principle, a ministry of things, the numbers have significant value and meaning. And we need to make a t pay attention to that in regards to what it does as far as the, the family is concerned. One other announcement is that we have offering boxes in the box. Uh, please participate in uh, your giving and donations here at HFFDFW. Uh, we appreciate it. I will bless the bread and the juice and dismiss you with the ironic blessing. First, the juice. Barukotah Yahweh, Eloheinu Malech HaAlam, Borei Pri Hagafen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who create the fruit of the vine. And now the bread. Barukotah Yahweh, Eloheinu Malech HaAlam, Hamose Lekem Men HaAresh. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who bring forth bread from the earth. And now the ironic blessing. Yabareka Ka Yahweh, Vayish Mareka. Yair Yahweh, Panamaleka Vihuneka. Yasa Yahweh Panamaleka, the Asim Laka Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance unto you and give you peace. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Tov, have a blessed week. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to make one quick little last announcement before anybody leaves. If you have not filled out a visitor card or something and have requested to be in the group me, we can't add you to the group me, which is something that has been fantastic this week where we've been able to stay connected as a group. If you have not been set up on the group me, you can't figure out how to do it, you need some help, whatever, 
please get with one of the members of technology. Either I can help you or somebody else so that we can get you signed up. We want to get you connected so that you can be a part of this fellowship, not just on one day a week on Sabbath, but throughout the week. It has been an absolute blessing for me. I know for probably many others too. So if you haven't got set up yet, please get set up and that way we can be connected. Thank you.